Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to speak a little bit about the parasha, the Torah portion. And if you have been following along, the Torah portion brings us to the end of Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis. We'll cover more of this in Shabbaton this afternoon if you're interested in more. But this section, the last few chapters of the book of Genesis, really sets the table for what happens in the book of Exodus. It goes without saying that as life passes on, individuals pass on. And in this week's parasha, there we encountered the death of two very significant characters in the Bible. And I would suggest even in history, those two characters being Yaakov, Jacob, and Yosef, Joseph. Jacob lived to the ripe age of 147. I can't even imagine that. I mean, 147. And Joseph was no spring chicken either, if you don't mind the term. He lived to be 110 years old. 147 and 110. And I will mention to you, if you remember the sermon, the message that Stephen gives in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7, he references what we will be talking about today. He references back to the parasha, the Torah portion, and the death of the patriarchs. It's only a sentence or two in Acts chapter 7, but he references it and uses it as a, as a point of reference for them to get their historical perspective. And it is important in our lives that we have historical perspective on matters so again, when I think of Jacob at the age of 147 and Joseph at 110, uh, I, you know, I have uh, silly thoughts like, well, that's a lot of candles for that birthday cake and stuff like that. But the scripture is much more serious and expresses to us about their lives. And in this case, because it's a seminal moment in biblical history, in this case about their passing and what happens. So... As with them, so with us. Their lives were enmeshed with other lives. Is that true for you? Is your life enmeshed with other people? Yes, it is. <laughs> Just the fact that we're sitting here today means we've enmeshed them somehow with other people. Uh, their words and their actions impacted others, in some cases impacted others for the good, and, and in other cases, and not so much with these two, but in other biblical characters, their words and actions weren't always the best words and actions, and didn't have necessarily the impact that uh, you would want to see happen through lives or through words. 
The new covenant, the Brit Chadashah as it's called in Hebrew, the new covenant presents physical death as inevitable. And there are a lot of sayings in English uh, concerning death and taxes and those type of things. But physical death is inevitable. But to, due to our great high priest, Messiah Yeshua, and his suffering, due to him and his suffering, a new dynamic was instituted. And I hope you catch this, and you probably have in your life, a new dynamic is instituted. There is something about reading about Yaakov and Yosef's death and their, their burial that's alluded to in the parasha and also in the book of Acts chapter 7, that when we think about Yeshua and what happened with him, we realize that a new dynamic was instituted through Yeshua and his merit and what he did. And that new dynamic, if I could express it in two words, would be eternal salvation. The caveat being for those that trust in him. Is that you today? Are you a person that trusts in Yeshua as your Lord and say, I'm one of those. And I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to admit that to anyone really. Now God's people, those that trust in the Messiah, we're awaiting Yeshua's return and he is coming back. For some, that's a, an over, overstated thing. That's all they ever think about. And that, that's a difficult way to, to go through life. It's all, if all you're ever thinking about is the return of the Messiah, return of the Messiah, well, you have real life around you as well. But it is true that Messiah is coming back. He's going to return. And with his return, and I don't know how else to express this, but there will be full redemption for us. There's much theology that you can weave into that idea, but when Yeshua returns, a boy, uh, the barbers before her, her request about transition, well, there's a transition for you when Yeshua returns. The prophets say the Mount of Olives will be split in two. We're, we're, it's alluded to that he'll set up his Davidic kingdom, and, and many other things are, are mentioned in Scripture, some of which are quite mysterious. They're, the meanings are hidden, hidden to us. Hebrews chapter 9, the book of Messianic Jews chapter 9 says, and, and you're welcome to read through all the chapter, but just to give you an idea of what it says, Hebrews chapter 9, Messianic Jews chapter 9, beginning with verse 26, sa says it this way. This is how it says it. But now, once at the end of the ages, Yeshua has appeared to put away sin by, and this is a key idea, by the sacrifice of himself. And Yeshua himself said that no one takes his life from him. Think about this. He laid down his life for you willingly. Willingly. He's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Yeshua was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. He will appear a second time for salvation, this complete deliverance. That I, I don't know what your life is like, but sometimes I'm just like, Bo, Yeshua, Bo, come, Yeshua, come. Have you ever had that kind of a day where you say, Lord, please come? And then my senses come back to me and I realize that the harvest fields are white. 
you're ready for harvest. And there's still many more need to be ushered in to the kingdom, particularly Israel and the Jewish people, but also all the nations of the earth. Our scripture at the end of Genesis, Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, tells us that upon Jacob's death, when Jacob passed away, it tells us that Joseph, who was a bit of a mocker, who was a big shot in Egypt, Joseph approached those that were in authority in Mitzrayim in Egypt, and he told the powers that be the desire of Jacob about his own burial. Because Jacob, if you read through the Torah portion, you realize Jacob had expressed his desire about his own burial. So we read what Joseph told the authorities in Egypt, Pharaoh and his associates. We read this in Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse 5. It says, My father made me swear, and if you remember the text, that's what happened. Jacob interacts with his son Joseph and, and is, in a sense makes Joseph give a vow that he will follow through on Jacob's own desire concerning his burial. My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Joseph continues beseeching the authorities in Mitzrayim in Egypt, and he says, Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. And then there's this important phrase, he says, and I know Pharaoh's ears must have wanted to hear this phrase, and I will come back. Because <laughs> you can go and not come back. But he says, let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 50, it says, Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father. And then Pharaoh alludes to this, as he made you swear. The bottom line is that Pharaoh seemed to catch, grasp that Joseph had given a vow to do what he was to do for his father, and Pharaoh did not get in the way of that. He says, simply go up and bury your father as he made you swear, you know, go do it. And the rest is history. It's covered in Genesis chapter 50. So in a sense, we can say that Joseph, Joseph spearheaded his father's burial. In a large part, due to Joseph's position of authority, he was able to do that. And also because he was highly regarded by Pharaoh and his court. You know, when you think about that kind of interaction that, that Yosef had with uh, Paro, with Pharaoh, and all the um, leadership in Mitzrayim, it's pretty amazing because Joseph was an outsider to them. And they grew to trust Joseph. They grew to where they could place Joseph in authority, in positions of authority. And, and as it says, he was at, in, in a second in command, so to say, in Egypt. Because they had known or come to know Joseph. They had come to know him. Including, perhaps, they had grasped, they had gathered some of Joseph's character traits. Do you realize when you interact with people, they may not spell this out to you or say this to you, but they are, they're grasping things about you. And the more you interact with them, the more they, they grasp things about you. They start to recognize things about you. And that 
after a while becomes they recognize certain character traits that you exhibit. Or should I say it with a, uh, a low breath that you don't exhibit? They recognize that. With Joseph, it seemed like a very positive recognition by Pharaoh and his, uh, those in authority with him. They had a positive recognition about Joseph's character, his character traits. They had seen it exhibited. And though at times, as uh, Safer Bereshit points out, New Covenant also points out, Joseph had been falsely accused. Other things had happened to him, going all the way back to the land of Canaan, Canaan. They still saw in the middle of all the fray of his life, they still saw that his character traits came to the top. And they recognized his character traits. And friends, be aware that people are recognizing your character traits. Things that may seem simple, such as diligence, trustworthiness, faithfulness, those things are stuff that we, we kind of grasp the more we interact with a person. We may not express it in that, that way. Uh, the idea of can you be counted on? Joseph was someone that could be counted on. And his, his handlers in Egypt recognized, hey, we can count on this guy. They recognized his honesty and many more, more traits that we'll discuss in Shabbaton today concerning Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 12, it expresses then what takes place after Joseph goes to Pharaoh and to the rulers of Mitzrayim and requests the ability, the freedom, if you would, to go bury his father just as Joseph had vowed to his father he would. Pharaoh gives his seal of approval. Then we read this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 12. So Jacob's sons did for Jacob just as he had commanded them. Not only did Joseph know what Jacob wanted as far as the burial, but the sons knew as well. So Jacob's sons did for Jacob just as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried Jacob in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. Curiously, this text makes a point again of the transaction that caused Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be buried in that place. That transaction that Abraham had made to purchase that property. And if you notice the detail, it doesn't just say, and they took him to the land of Canaan and, and buried him at Hebron. It doesn't say that. It goes in and mentions specifically the field, the cave of the field of Machlad, which was near Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. It rehashes all that information. Boy, you would think, uh, why the overload on so much information and repeating that over and over again? Well, the truth be told that right now, that area, that particular cave, that burial site is, a, is an area with a lot of dispute connected to it. I think it's an incredible place to visit if you ever get a chance. 
So this passage is also important because it shows that Joseph, Joseph chose to honor his father's wishes. Do you know his father was gone? His father had passed away, and Joseph could have said, man, that's a lot of trouble. He has to be embalmed. We have to carry him over there. I have to go to Pharaoh. I got to get permission. He doesn't do any of that. He could have chosen to take a different route, which would have meant that he didn't keep his word to his father. But he doesn't do that. He actually chooses to honor his father and to honor his word to his father. And that's emblematic of what Joseph's life had been like as, we're, we're in, as we encounter him in the book of Genesis. He was, to put it mildly, he was an honorable man. He was an honorable young man. He was an honorable middle-aged man. And the text proves to us, and we'll discuss this momentarily, the text proves to us he was honorable even in his older age, up to age 110. He remained an honorable man. And... Joseph chose to honor his father's wishes, and if I could apply that idea to our Heavenly Father, to our lives, we should choose to honor our Heavenly Father's wishes in our lives, to honor that. If you made a commitment to the Lord and you called on Messiah to be your Lord and Savior, man, honor that. Show that with your time. Show that with your treasure. Show that with your talents. Show that you're honoring that. Let it be obvious. It was obvious to everyone who encountered Joseph, even the Egyptians, that he was an honorable man. And so he was to the end of his life. Because Joseph's strength of character and his willingness to approach the difficult task that came upon him, and I would suggest to you that even going to Pharaoh at a time of mourning that he was going through after the loss of his father, and he and his father were close, that was a difficult task. It wasn't a slam dunk kind of task. Because Pharaoh had the option to say, no, you can't go bury your father. And if Pharaoh had done that, that would have placed Joseph in a quandary of sorts, a conundrum. Well, what do I do? I gave my word to my father. Thankfully, Joseph had won the respect of the authority figures around him, and Pharaoh and those around him said, yes, do keep your vow, keep your word. The difficult task that Joseph faced in his life most, most of which difficulties involve benefiting others. Do you realize a good part of your life really evolves around, revolves around benefiting others? We say it in theological terms or uh, charisma terms like uh, being a blessing to others. Well, yeah, that's true. And you can do inventory on your, life and say, uh, your own life and say, am I being a blessing to others? Am I a blessing to my congregation? Am I a blessing to my family? Am I a blessing to my neighbors? You can parse your life through that way because the opposite is pretty harrowing. <laughs> when you just negate the idea of blessing, and you, you realize, hey, I'm not a blessing. I'm more of a source of trial and trouble and tribulation, the other three T's. Time, talent, and treasure, well, trial, trouble, and tribulation. But he kept his integrity, he kept his word, he remained firmly rooted in integrity throughout his life, Joseph did. And it's impressive. 
because he maintained good character traits. Now, please listen to this. Joseph was a human being with some obvious weaknesses. We all have them, even the best among us. But we are told about God's nature throughout Scripture, his character traits. I particularly love the book of Yaakov, James chapter 1, verse 17, which reminds us, reminds us of this part of God's nature. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Has the Lord given you good gifts? If he has, will you raise your hand and acknowledge him? Thank you. All these good things, these blessings that come into your life, the real ones, they have divine signature on them. That's why it's important that we give thanks to the Lord. It's important that we praise him. It's important that we appreciate the goodness of God extended to our lives. That's highly significant. And in fact, it's a differentiation point between us who love the Lord and those who don't. Being thankful is a high virtue. Think about what being unthankful looks like. Every good gift, Yaakov, James chapter 1, verse 17, and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights. And then there's this statement, translated in different ways, but it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. When I read that kind of an idea, that verse, that's a New King James translation. There are other ways to express it. I am so thankful before you today, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm so thankful that God is not fickle in his love towards his people. He's not fickle. It's not like, well, I love you today. I don't love you tomorrow. I may love you the next day. That's not the Lord. He loves his people. And if you're his today and you've received him and you're walking with him, he loves you, be aware of that. That's really not the question. The question in life is, do you love him back? And are you showing that with your life? If you are, be aware that people around you will notice. They will see. And in some cases, they may want an answer for the hope that lies within you. And you may have had people come up and ask you uh, about yourself. What do you believe? Are you a believer? And I'm always thrilled when I meet individuals that immediately know they're believers. Have you had that experience? A worker comes to your house to work on something. That was my most recent one. And I knew he was a believer right away. I don't know how. He was a believer. And other times you encounter some, well, you wonder (laughs) what their life's about. It's not that we pass judgment, but we do try to have discernment with those we interact with. So this patriarchal legacy that was part of Joseph's life, part of Jacob's life, part of Joseph's brother's lives, part of Isaac's life, that patriarchal legacy was there, and Jacob's gone, and Joseph's still alive, In fact, he has the task of burying his father. Now with Jacob gone, Joseph firmly planted in a position of honor and authority in Egypt. Here's the crux of my message to you today. There's another side to this coin. 
And Genesis chapter 50 chooses to bring this out with quite a bit of detail. The other side of the coin is not the coin that has the the punum, the face of Jacob and Joseph on it. (laughs) It's the other side of that coin that has the faces of Joseph's brothers on it. Joseph's brothers, the text shows us, they began to worry after Jacob died. They began to worry and they began to think this through somewhat. And, and from their point of view, they had good reason to worry. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, spells some of this out for us. It's a fascinating passage. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, you notice the next statement is, they mourned and they wept over it. No, that's not the next statement. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. (laughs) So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him these words. Then his brothers also went and they fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we are your servants. To put it mildly and to use just one term to describe the brother's situation with Jacob gone, Joseph still alive, the brother's situation in a word, and there are many words I could describe it, but I'll use this one. They were worried. They were worried. Their worried to them seemed pretty well-founded. They knew exactly what they had done to Joseph. There wasn't no revamping of the history. They knew it deep inside. They were there. They knew exactly who did what and what they had done to Joseph. And they had some questions perhaps pop up in their own thinking. Now Jacob's gone and he's been mollifying this situation. Now we are at the mercy of Joseph who has authority over us. Not only that because of his position in Egypt. But I would suggest to you that he had moral authority over them as well because of his integrity. Questions arise because of this transaction where they send messengers to Joseph and, and spew out perhaps, uh, you know, that, that, that before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass, the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. They wondered many things. And then we can wonder also alongside of them, did Jacob really tell Joseph's brothers to tell Joseph to forgive them? That's a question. Why did Jacob not tell Joseph directly? The text shows us that Joseph and Jacob interacted in a a marked way. Then suddenly the brothers are sending a message saying, your father said that you are to forgive us. <laughs> That's a question. Did Jacob really do that? Now, the question they had also, 
You know, it, it, it was around this kind of an idea. Would Joseph now exact revenge? You know, he has his opportunity now. Jacob's gone. Would he now get revenge on us? For the brothers, that was a real question and concern. That was a worrisome question. Would Jacob, would Joseph make his brothers pay for the evil they had done to him? He had the authority to do it. <laughs> he had the, the wherewithal to get back at them, to get even, to revenge or avenge what they'd done. Would he do it now that Jacob's gone? Would Jacob, I mean, would Joseph make their lives bitter and difficult just like they had done to his? You know, or, or would Joseph go to Pharaoh? He seems to have a, a rapport with Pharaoh, proven by the fact that Pharaoh says, yes, go bury your father just like you vowed you would. Maybe their thinking revolved around, will Joseph ask Pharaoh to get revenge on us. You know, um, perhaps a season in the Egyptian prison system or some other way to get their point across, to get his point across that he was getting back at them for what they did. These kind of ideas were circulating among the brothers. So they're the other side of the proverbial coin. Truth is that the sky was the limit for Joseph. He could do about anything he wanted with his brothers. Think about the power of that. He could have them incarcerated. He could have them uh, you know, sent in exile. I mean, what? he could do all kinds of things to them. But he doesn't. Joseph's brothers, you could say, they had some reason to worry. That's how they thought. But isn't that how worry grips us? When I mentioned the idea, that's how they were thinking. That's how they thought. Isn't that how worry sometimes grips your life and mine? We think we have good reason to worry about a given matter. We think we have good reason to worry about a specific issue that pops up in our lives. We think we have good reason to worry about an event that's in the pipeline for us. Or we think we have specific reason and good reason to worry about a particular person. And we end up spending quite a bit of our time doing just that. In the secret ruminations of our mind. Doing just that. We end up being anxious, we end up worrying, we end up fretting about things. A lot of it's a battle up here. Scripture says, he keeps them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. We can also ask ourselves, what does our worrying accomplish? Yeah, we can worry about all kinds of things from the, you know, if you lived in California, maybe California is going to fall into the ocean. Or if you live in St. Louis, maybe the big mid-America earthquake's going to come. Or if you live out in uh, the islands, you know, maybe global warming's going to flood the islands of the Pacific. All these type of things that are really well beyond us. Yeshua addressed worrying in more places than you can imagine, but also Rav Shaul, Paul did. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Notice the first four words. Be anxious 
for nothing. You can parse nothing to no thing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, so we go from nothing to everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and again, here's this word that I mentioned previously, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And it continues in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Messiah Yeshua. Let's face it, we can at times worry. Maybe that's not a problem for you, but I think if you peel back your life a little bit, you'll see at times that worry, anxiety, fretting does impact you. And if we continually struggle with this inner turmoil, we have an inner turmoil and our mind keeps racing And sometimes even our heart keeps beating and racing. Have you ever experienced that? Your heart just starts racing. It's very difficult to experience the peace of God with all that going on inside of you. Instead of the peace of God, something's gripped us. Something's got hold of us. Something we're worrying about, we're fretting about, we have anxiety about, grips us. And comes between us and Yeshua, who is Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Scripture encourages us to trust God in all circumstances. To trust God in all things that we face. To trust Him. To trust God rather than to worry and be anxious and fret over everything that we encounter. It's really a bad exchange in life. It's a bad exchange when we are carrying the cares and the anxieties and the frets and the worries that we do sometimes rather than casting those cares, as Scripture says, upon him who cares for us. That's a bad exchange when we decide we're going to keep carrying these things rather than cast it upon the Lord, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, that we're to cast all our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. He cares for us. If you leave here today, at least take this with you, that he cares for you. And if he cares for you, some of the things you're fretting about and you're anxious about and worrying about, for some it's the future, for some it's the present, for some it's the past, for some it's past, present, and future. They're worrying about everything. But please leave here today knowing that he really cares for you. And as we cast our cares upon him, something happens. A soothing, I don't know how to express it, a soothing thing happens in our spirits, deep inside of us. A certain refreshing grabs hold of us. It's really life-changing. It's a healing kind of peace. And I know when I became a believer, that was the thing that I noticed the most. Turmoil in the world, peace in Messiah. Tribulation in the world, peace in Messiah. The world going crazy, peace in Messiah. Friends, don't exchange your worry for his peace. In other words, don't give up your peace because of the things you're worrying about. It's a better way to say it. So truth be told, the anxiety, the fretting, the worry that Joseph's brothers had, that they had after the death of Jacob, 
was misguided for one major reason. Their worry at that time was misguided. And there's a major reason why they were off in their worry. And I'll suggest to you that this remains a major reason that we too should not let worry, anxiety, or fretting control our lives. There's a major reason. You see, Joseph's brothers, they did not take into consideration the character of Joseph. You could say that they viewed Joseph as being similar to them. Yeah, they were brothers, but they were very different. Joseph was different. He was cut from a different cloth, morally, integrity-wise, than many of his brothers. So when they looked at Joseph, they didn't focus on the character that had developed in Joseph's life. They saw other things. And in, in a sense, they saw maybe their own semi-reflection in the mirror. And if they had grasped the character of Joseph, they had grasped his character, they wouldn't have worried about his actions towards them. They would have recognized, this is the kind of man our brother has become. And he will, because his life shows it, his actions show it, his words show it, he will treat us righteously. Friends, when we truly grasp the blameless character of our Lord, we too will be able to cast aside our worries and place our trust in him. No matter what our worries are, the future the present, finances, health. Let's trust in him for these things. Why? Well, because his character is blameless. The brothers didn't reckon, they didn't seem to get that Joseph's character was a flawless kind of character and he would treat them well. They thought he would get revenge. The Lord's character is gracious you know that he's gracious and merciful? <laughs> that he's full of compassion? He knows our needs before we even ask him. He knows the very thing you might be worrying about from this morning. He knows. And he's there to help. Call upon him. He'll hear you. He'll respond. It's best to trust God. To trust God. And as we do so, to realize that our worrying, our fretting, our anxiety, you know, it won't accomplish anything. The only thing I've noticed that anxiety, worrying, and fretting accomplishes is it just seems to drag you down. It seems to be an anchor to your soul. And after a while, if you get caught up and with worrying, fretting, and anxiety, you find that you can no longer lift your hands in praise to the Lord. You find that you no longer can read the Word of God. You find that you don't want to fellowship anymore. And it gets worse from there. Are you worried about a lost loved one today? If you are, please remember that God is standing at the door of that person's heart and he's knocking at that door. And when that person desires and opens the door to the Lord, the Lord will come in. He's faithful. When that person comes to him, to the Lord, he will not cast that person out. Keep praying for that person. Are you worried about your personal needs here this morning? 
your personal situation, remember that God knows your needs already. And he will not withhold any good thing from you as you walk uprightly with him. Are you worried about your current circumstances in life? Remember, he is the master of the universe. How much more can he be the master of your life if you let him? He's the master of the universe. He's the Melech HaOlam. He's the eternal king. There's no authority higher than his authority. In all creation, he's the authority. And as I already mentioned, he will not withhold any good thing from you as you walk before him blamelessly, uprightly. Are you worried about your health? Many of us are. You worry about your health. We're concerned about it. Remember that one of the ways he chose to be described in Scripture is he is the Lord that heals us. He's the Lord that heals you. He desires for you to prosper and to be in good health even as your soul doth prosper. There's a link between your spiritual walk and your physical walk and your, and your, um, your soul, your inner being. He desires that we would prosper and be in good health even as our soul prospers, it says in 3 John. Are you fretting because of the evildoers that want to dominate this world and the society around us? Remember, fret not over evildoers. You know why? (laughs) They're here and then they are gone. (laughs) They're here and then they are gone. But those who do the will of the Lord, you know what? It says that those who do the will of the Lord abide forever. Is that you today? Are you devoted to doing the will of the Lord in your life? Or maybe are you worried about what others may think of you because of your faith? Are you fearful that they might reject you if you proclaim Yeshua boldly in your life? Remember the Lord knows those that are his. He's the one that sticks closer than a brother. And your friends, they may all disappear, but the Lord, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promised that. If you're concerned about what people think, if you tell them and let them know you're a believer in the Messiah, you know what? Walk in the love of the Lord, but keep proclaiming his name because he sticks closer than a brother and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The very people you may be speaking to, they may, but he's faithful. And rather than devoting our time to our emotions or our our emotions to such things like worrying and fretting, wouldn't it be better to turn our focus to Yeshua the Messiah? Wouldn't that be a better course in life? The one who's the author, the the perfecter, the completer, the finisher of our faith. I think it's a better thing to do than to worry and to fret and to be anxious. It's better to trust in the Lord. It's a better thing. It's a better choice. Well, in conclusion, Joseph's brothers knew, they knew that Joseph was in a position to put in motion... (laughs) any plan he wanted concerning them. He was positioned in a way that their lives really, he could impact them however he chose. And their next question probably was something like, 
what will our brother do? What will Joseph do? And again, I'm suggesting to you they really didn't grasp his character, although they should have. So let's conclude by considering what Joseph eventually did with his brothers. It's fascinating. Genesis chapter 50 verse 19 says, Joseph said to them, doesn't this sound angelic? Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then I love this next statement. For am I in the place of God? That is rife with meaning. He's not saying to them, you're scot-free. He's saying, I'm going to let God be the judge of this. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? And he doesn't whitewash what they did. But as for you, you meant evil against me. He doesn't turn it around and say, oh, you know, you just had a bad day that day. And he doesn't do any of that. He calls it what it is. He said, you meant evil against me. But this, this idea where he keeps looking to God as his whole life, he had done this from his youth to his elderly age. He keeps looking to God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Friends, the difficult circumstances you face, be sure to look to God for his good. He has plans that are well beyond what you're going through. And sometimes the very difficult things we're facing in life are the very things we need to go through to prepare us for the ultimate place he has for us. We see that in Joseph's life and in many other lives in Scripture. Preparation time. But as for you, verse 20 of Genesis 50, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, and he repeats this statement again, which shows us that he probably picked up that they were afraid, and they had reason to. Joseph was in a position that he could get back at them. He says to them again, now, therefore, do not be afraid. Well, that's the first thing he said to him. Do not be afraid. He says it again. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. And then this magnanimous statement that shows his magnanimous deeds. I will provide for you and your little ones. Not only am I not going to get even with you, I'm not going to take it out on your children. <clears throat> I will provide for you and your little ones and then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So what did Joseph do to his brothers? He had them in the palm of his hand, so to say. After Jacob died, Jacob's no longer there. What does he do to his brothers who really deserve the treatment? Similar to what they had done to him, if it's an even Stephen thing, they could have, he could have said, well, I'm just going to get you what you did to me. What does he do? He comforts them and he speaks kindly to them. Friends, sometimes we have to come out of our self-centeredness and meet people where they're at. Speak words of comfort even when we feel like we're the ones that need those words. We need to treat people kindly even though we may think we've been treated unkindly. And in Joseph's life, we see he doesn't change. 
He's like this from the beginning. So God will help you with your worries. He'll help you with what you're dealing with. He'll be with you. Your anxieties, your fretting, you know what those are. Things that you're concerned about that are starting to grip you. And he speaks kindly to your soul. He speaks comfort to you. He will help you overcome. His grace is sufficient for you. And his power is perfected in weakness. Great is his name. You see, it was Joseph's sterling character that ruled the day when he had the chance to go another direction. It was his sterling character that ruled the day when he could have got revenge on his brothers. It was Joseph's sterling character that ruled his emotions. Do you realize he had an opportunity to really get mad and express it? Jacob's gone. I got him now. It's my turn. It was Joseph's sterling character and fear of the Lord that caused him to desire good rather than evil for his brothers. And it will be God's blameless character that will undergird your lives as you allow him to. It will be his blameless character you can trust. You can trust the character of God. So rather than sinking into an abyss of worry, anxiety, and fretting, consider instead the goodness of the Lord towards you. Consider his kindness extended to you. Consider his grace exhibited through Yeshua Messiah who willingly gave his life for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do not treat us according to our sins. Thank you that you are the ultimate judge and your judgment is righteous altogether. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the way, Yeshua the Messiah, that leads not unto death and damnation, but leads unto life eternal. Lord, I pray for each person here. Whatever we might be worrying about, the past, the present, the future, whether it be a lost loved one, whether it be a financial situation, whether it be, oh Lord, wondering what it is that you desire from us, Lord, I pray that you would shine your light upon our hearts, that we might walk in the light as you are in the light and continue to have glorious fellowship together in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.